This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important like a boxed copy of Choo Choo Rocket. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toad on Games. I almost said an episode number there, but God knows what order these come in, so that would be a very stupid idea. Um, with me today, <laughs> we have Dreamcast Guy. Hi, nice meeting you. Good to be on. Um, do you want to tell everyone who you are, what you do, um, that sort of thing? Um, yes, I am Dreamcast Guy. Uh, I kind of do a newsy style show on YouTube. Uh, my main speciality is deep dive game reviews. So typically I like to get a game and try and beat it, do all the side quests and kind of just cover what's good or bad about it. Uh, I especially love talking about betas and demos. I kind of am fascinated about the creation process. Uh, and it's mm. it's been fun. been doing it for a lot of years. Uh, so how long, how long have you been doing your channel for now? Um, I, I feel like I got pretty serious. I was I been tinkering around with videos for quite a long time, but I really sat down and got serious in like 2013. I was like, I want this to be my job. I want to see how big this can get. And I, uh, I quit my day job in 2016. Oh, sweet. Okay. That's cool. So, so you really have been at it for a while now then you've been at it for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's strange to look back on, especially uh, one of the bizarre parts of YouTube is that you end up having this huge archive of jokes and videos you've done. So I can look back and see all these skits of younger me and different hijinks and stuff. But yeah, many, many, many years of uh, of antics. The name Dreamcast Guy, where, mm-hmm. where did that come from? Is it just that are you huge on the Dreamcast? Do you love oh. Dreamcast? I well, when I was a kid, uh, my my mom had to go away when I was a kid and, and never really came back. And, and before she left, she she was like she came to me and I was a pretty little kid at the time. And she was like, uh, all right, Max, uh, I, I have to go somewhere for a while. I want to get you any gift you can imagine. Just anything you want. Make one request and I'll buy it. And so being a little kid, uh, the Dreamcast had come out about six months before that. And so I was like, oh, I want to sing a Dreamcast. So she got me a Dreamcast. Uh, and I played it a bunch, and unfortunately, my mom went away. And then, as I grew into adulthood, and like the retro gaming scene hadn't really grown up yet, uh, Dreamcast games were dirt cheap, and I, I always kept that Dreamcast because it was really special. So I started just trying to track down every single Dreamcast game. That was my goal: is to get every Dreamcast game and beat them. And so, over the course of about thirteen years, I would go into stores all around Dallas, Texas, and hound them to try and dig the games out of the back. And I, I kind of got a, a reputation, and some of the store vendors used to get annoyed with me and be like, oh, great, Dreamcast guys here. So whenever I started my YouTube channel, I was like, well, this is my only nickname. So I put in my, uh, my nickname of Dreamcast guy. And so now I've done it. I, I have every Dreamcast controller, uh, a bunch of variation consoles. I have all the games, and uh, it's it's been a good journey. <laughs> I love that. That's... Uh... I like that the name actually means something. That's I wasn't really expecting that. That's uh, that's wicked. Like, you know, that you have a lot of history with it, and um, and that retail workers literally called you re- Dreamcast guy. <laughs> I, lo- I love. Yeah. That. <laughs> I'm sure they. I'm sure they got very annoyed. I definitely. Uh, I'll be honest. I probably pestered them a lot. There were a lot of people where I'm like, "Come on, man, just check. I know you're saying <laughs> you don't have any. Just check in the back." And they're like, "Fine, whatever. Jeez." <laughs> I remember I, I worked at Game Retail once, and we definitely did that. I remember we did stuff like that. We had um, Power Rangers guy, Winston's and guy, but Power Rangers guy because he would come in and ask if we had the latest Power Rangers game all the mm-hmm. time. Um, I wonder if he's got our YouTube channel somewhere called Power Rangers. Guy, <laughs> I hope. So. I hope so. I hope he made a thing of it. Um, yeah, I actually don't have like I don't have that much personal history with the Dreamcast because I um I sort of. My first home console was the PS1 and then the mm-hmm. PS2 and GameCube. And yeah, I think I just sort of skipped over it, which is a shame because it has such a sort of a unique history to it. And the, and the community of people that care about it, are really, it's a really cool and very passionate community of people. Like the people that like Dreamcast like the Dreamcast. Yeah. Um, it, it, I've always it's found funny to be... People kind of take the the Dreamcast community for granted at times. Like I, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but there are still new Dreamcast games being made even now. I, I'm actually a lot of times mm. sent 
these little dev discs where people are still to this day making new RPGs and platformers. Uh, I just got sent one called Rizzo Island. Uh, this guy's uncle was like a surfer and would make this surf rock music and his, uh, his uncle passed away. So the guy decided to make a game that's like about his uncle and it's like a, a 3d platformer where you jump around as a surfer and collect like discs and go surfing and it plays all of his late uncle's music in the game uh i don't know the, the the dreamcast scene is still just so big and so thriving all the, all the online games hackers have managed to rebuild all the servers so you can still play mm. fantasy star to this day i don't know i'm, I'm so fascinated by that scene yeah, um, like you said, like it's all those custom sort of indie bootleggy kind of games that I find really endearing. Um, more so than even like the, the sort of, you get similar stuff for other consoles like the NES and SNES and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've even heard of that game you mentioned, but that sounds wonderful. <laughs> That's, I, that sounds like something I, I, I would be super into. Um, I should really, should really read up on it, really. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, the Dreamcast is... Uh, as I say, like the community is so very passionate about the Dreamcast. People that like the Dreamcast will let you know that they like the Dreamcast, and it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a really cool community. Um, but sort of you, as you mentioned, sort of your videos have kind of, you, you, I mean, you, you don't focus on Dreamcast. You, you kind of, uh, uh, yeah, mostly modern stuff. Yeah, I, I originally did some stuff. My original videos were all about uh, Dreamcast games. But uh, part of my thing is that I I feel like so many people were doing it better. I I had enough self-reflection to realize, like, I I wasn't funny enough to do angry video games, nerd style content. And and I wasn't proper enough Mm. at my editing skills to do, like, deep dives back then. So I realized I should just try and pivot more towards current stuff because i felt like that scene was more my speed so it wasn't like a lack of love it's just that i I was definitely just self-aware enough to realize i'm gonna leave this to the professionals yeah i mean fair enough makes sense and you got you're repping it still with the name of the hat so it's all there it's still there yeah, and I, I still get a chance. It still comes up occasionally because obviously we're still getting some remasters and collections occasionally and stuff. So like obviously Shinmu Three with Shinmu Three, I really got a chance to kind of expose the love of the world to Shinmu since even though that series came out like twenty years ago, I still feel like it's mm-hmm. it's fun that it's still talked about and like discussed and ripped apart. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, Shinmu is sort of similarly is like another beast of its own. Like the community behind that game is are so passionate about Shinmu. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the, uh, what the new game sales are like, but I'm very curious to find out. Um, I suspect most people that were interested in it probably backed it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know what the retail sales are like. Um, but that was always my suspicion is that the people that were passionate about it had already backed it really. Um, yeah, and they put it on sale so fast. I can't imagine the profit was very high. They put it on sale for like. $25 a couple days after it came out. So I'm pretty sure that uh, it was definitely not a million dollar endeavor or whatever it was trying to be. Yeah, it kind of makes me worried for the future of the series, really, because I, I think I think that small number of people that were super passionate and backed it, I think that's probably it. I think that's the audience. Yeah, um, I don't really know how they market that series to a new audience. Um, I'm not sure if it managed it, so that's a bit that's a bit of a shame for those people that are invested in that story and want to see it continue. It is. It's interesting because I feel like that we're sort of having this problem now in current gaming, or I say the word problem, but. I feel like in modern gaming, we have so much amazing stuff to play. There are so many MMORPGs Mm -hmm. that are pushing the boundaries of what you can do in a day. There's first-person shooters that are big and elaborate and free-to-play, like Call of Duty Warzone. And then indie games. There's like 20 new indie games every single day that are inventive and explorative and so interesting that... If you make a mediocre game, which face it, Shinmu 3 kind of wasn't as good as it probably should have been, you just there's not enough oxygen in the room. So we're kind of hitting that space now of mm-hmm. almost like too much of a good thing is drowning out all the meh things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's something I say a lot, actually, and it's something I don't think people recognize. So when you see sort of gaming websites, you, you don't see that many games with low scores anymore. It's mm-hmm. like sevens and eights and, and up. At worst, a six. If something, if a game gets a six out of ten, that's like, oh my goodness, 
oh that's terrible yeah. <laughs> and it's simply because the majority of games now are good like which is shocking i don't i don't know if you can necessarily say about most industries but we've got to a point where most games are pretty good and so um you know a game being average or just all right is not generally going to be worth people's time anymore because um there's there's so much out there that is more worthwhile playing um that you know it's kind of damning if a, if a game gets a six or a seven out of ten that's that's the worst thing that can happen um well, like like what just happened with crucible like Cru- crucible amazon came out with a free-to-play moba shooter they spent the rumor is there's a 400 million dollar budget it's already down to under 500 players a day worldwide and it's because yeah. it's not that the game necessarily sucks it's certainly beautiful i i put like 35 hours into it it has a great soundtrack it has cool voice lines but there's so many better games that are also free. Like we're just in a space now. It's definitely, uh, I, I like to call it the creative resist, uh, the creative renaissance where like there's so many free mm-hmm. development kits. There's so many people online that are happy to teach you how to do modeling. It's just like uh, all the bad idea or all the good ideas have risen so high. No, nobody else can compete. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating, but uh, it's, it's, I'm curious how this ends up, you know, we're in the, the arms race of game design. Yeah, um, it's 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 so strange. I mean, with Crucible, as you say, like it's that game is just kind of I've not played it personally, but from what I can tell, it's 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 fine. But it's just it's just fine, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you you can potentially push a sort of okay game like that to get numbers through marketing and advertising and and content creator outreach and stuff. And it doesn't. I don't know why. From what I, from my side, as someone that works in marketing, I haven't seen that happen, which is very strange because obviously it's an Amazon game. Um, uh-huh. They have money for days. I, I don't know why they haven't pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it out there. Um, seems a bit weird to me. Maybe they thought that just it being an Amazon title in itself would get people interested. I have absolutely no idea what they were thinking. Or maybe um, a sunk cost fallacy thing. I, I definitely I hear those rumblings occasionally where you've worked on a game for so long, they're like, okay, it's completed. Let's release it. Let's see what money we can make and then scrap the studio and put that team on something else. Like they, they, they're not even releasing it to make a billion dollars. They're releasing it so they can get everybody on the next project. They're like, all right, like we, we can't have you guys devving it any longer like this. Just release whatever it is now. Yeah. Yeah. But even then it seems odd that cause I mean, the marketing is going to be so separate from the development team, assumedly, mm-hmm. that it's it's strange that none of that has happened. Um, I'm not sure what the thought process is. But maybe they look at, you know, maybe they look at a lot of these live service type of games that kind of can just build their way up. Maybe they, maybe they don't view it as being any sense of urgency. I think that's the wrong, if that's what they're going for, I think that's the wrong move. But um, yeah. it's Absolutely. kind of strange. It's kind of, I mean, it's impossible to really know exactly what, exactly what their plan is there. Um, but yeah, in general, we have we have. Uh, I don't understand when I see people say, "Oh, I'm bored," or "I don't, I don't know what to play." Like, I've got, I don't, I have no <laughs> idea what to play. How I haven't yeah. had that happen to me in like 10, 20 years. Like, I've I've never hit a point where I've just said, "Oh, I'm I'm bored," or I've got nothing to play. Um, at this point. You know, we've got stuff like itch.io, which has tens of thousands of free games. So mm-hmm. even if more than understandably so, if you can't purchase, you know, every bloody massive $50, 60 game that comes out, there's a wealth of amazing, completely free games out there. So we are swamped with content, with, with creative content. Um, we really are... It may not feel like it because we, we kind of complain a lot about um, industry standards and microtransactions and loot boxes and all that stuff. But it, we'll look back at, at this age as sort of the golden age of gaming, I'm sure. Um, you know, we're right before we're at the cusp of it becoming so normal and, and so huge. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where this industry is going to go, to be honest. It's, it's difficult to tell. It, it is hard to tell. I So one, one of the dumb things I had as a kid, 
uh, is I always thought that video games would become so perfect. They would just release one video game for each genre. I don't know why I thought this as a kid, but I thought that someday you'll just buy a game called First Person Shooter and it'd just be the world's most perfect first person shooter. Maybe it'd be like VR or something. And then like, oh, you want to play an RPG? Well, go buy role playing game. I don't know why I thought this, but it's it's funny because I feel like in a way we kind of have reached that point in a way in that, that now with the live service thing, it's all right, here's Fortnite, but Fortnite also has all this construction stuff and there's cars you could drive yeah. in it. So this is now third person shooter, the game. It's just, it's funny how, I don't know why as a kid, I just assumed that companies would just not want to release stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's silly, but also not that silly because as you say, we we're at a point where games are becoming platforms. And that's certainly how Epic see Fortnite. They see it as a platform now. And that's why we mm -hmm. have stuff like the um, the music concerts in the game. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Got, literally, True. today as we record, Destiny, the uh, Destiny 2 news that came out literally today, um, where they're not planning a sequel. They don't have any plans to ever make a sequel. They're in Destiny 2 long term. They want it to be a live service, and they want it to last years and years and years and years. I think we'll get more of that as we go ahead. It's just going to be a lot of games are going to build these live service stuff where it's a platform. And heck, maybe you'll even get other developers making games for in their games. So it really does become a literal platform. Um, who knows? Weird. I, I have heard talk about, like, I, I get to talk to some game developers occasionally, which I'm always very privileged. I, I appreciate when these people will reach out and talk to me. And a conversation I've heard people have privately is the idea of things like dreams of like, mm -hmm. here is a cheap video game that is fun and is interesting, but is basically just a toolkit. And inside this toolkit, you can make PT demo or Silent Hill, or you could make a first person shooter in a space adventure. And I have people had that, that conversation of like, what's going to happen when something makes that like what if inside of grand theft auto they start making a way for you to sell tracks and instead of even bothering to make burnout paradise 2 they just make the burnout expansion pack inside of grand theft auto i'm so curious because i feel like the the laws of marketing the laws of like distribution are changing so much in the digital era i don't know i'm so fascinated to see what the next couple of years look like yeah, me too. And, you know, that, that suggestion you made seems almost inevitable to me, the, the, yeah. that idea, really. I mean, the, the idea of game developers and, and even long-standing franchises making experiences for other games, um, that makes complete sense to me. I think that's the natural progression of stuff. I mean, for me, um, although, you know, everyone that's ever predicted how the future of games goes ends up looking like a complete idiot, um, but oh, the yeah. stuff that I've always been saying <laughs> is it seems inevitable <laughs> seems inevitable to me that games will end up having a uh, subscription-based, service-based future, like a Netflix-y games sort of thing. It's definitely where Xbox are trying to go with Xbox Game Pass. They don't really care about whether the Xbox Series X sells hardware. They're not that bothered. They would rather people sign up to their subscription service. I think PlayStation going to push it more. I think that's where we're going. And then I think... We're going to have people trying to piggyback off of the success stories from that, uh, like Fortnite or like the next GTA, and will make their own games and own experiences in part of that platform. Mm -hmm. I think people are really going to use them like social networks. You know, people are going to be like, uh, pop. You know, they get home from work, they pop on GTA, and maybe they're playing the core GTA game, but maybe they're playing other games in that game with their mm -hmm. friends. Um, which is from my side because I'm someone that focuses a lot on preservation. I have that concern, but mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult to say it isn't a cool idea. Like It's definitely cool. It, it reminds me so much of Ready Player One. Uh, I love the book. I thought the movie was decent, but just the idea of like in the book, they specifically talk about the fact that like it's a digital universe that everybody logs into and there is a planet for World of Warcraft. There's a planet over here for like mm. uh, Elder Scrolls and you just fly to that planet. And when you go there, it changes all your physics and magic and stuff to fit that universe. And then whenever you get bored, you summon your spaceship and fly to the next planet. And I feel like video games are probably going to hit that in some capacity where it's like all right this is no man's sky but if you want over here is the dragonborn planet like there you go now you can run around and do some skyrim side quests of absolutely no pressure i don't know it, it'll be interesting but the monetization for sure is the 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 kink i think they're trying to work out i, I have heard uh multiple people have told me how 
PlayStation, I've heard PlayStation had like talks at one point uh, internally about like they just want to sell you a controller and you just pay like $50 a month to keep the controller on and it'll talk to any Sony TV and just be PlayStation now, basically. That's like a, a thing they want to do in like 20 years or something. It's just, okay, like you just get every PlayStation game, you pay the fee, it'll interact with any Sony Vio computer or Sony computer or whatever, or TV. Just like, okay, there you go. You don't have a console anymore. It's just everything for a monthly fee. It's just Netflix of gaming. And I, I kind of like the idea mm-hmm. of that I'm kind of afraid of the idea of that, but I do think that's where we're all going eventually. Yeah, totally. And you can you can see it from the business side on their point. Like, it's difficult having these, especially with consoles specifically, these generational leaps where they lose their entire player base every time they want to improve their console because mm-hmm. they have to skip forward and have completely different games. It's it it doesn't really make sense to keep doing that. These generational leaps. I don't know that we'll have that many more of them. Um, whereas for for a for a company like Sony, the ideal scenario is the sort of thing you just said, where they, they here's a controller. There's no hardware. Here's a controller. You want to keep using it. You pay a service, and then all the games they're making, they can just justify as an expense to keep the the subscription running. You know, but like Netflix, um, I, I, I there's no doubt in my mind that some form of subscription-based service is where all of video games is going to be in the not-too-distant future. It's just, that's where it's going to be. And, you know, that comes with its own problems. That comes with its own concerns um, because of how vastly different it is. Yeah, can't help to think it's interesting, if nothing else. I, I'm kind of curious. I feel like the the indie scene blowing up has, has been very fascinating to watch because, like, you and I grew up in the cartridge era that stuff was so expensive mm. like if you actually translate up the cost a lot of those games even though they're just like little sprites and stuff a lot of them were you know tens 50s millions of dollars all that are put into this to try and make you know mario jump or to make it where uh final fantasy 6 has an opening cutscene. that stuff was very very expensive and then had to be approved for certification printed on a certain amount of cartridges and mailed out. It, it was, it was so interesting that it, it had so much pressure on your game being a success. And we've kind of removed that barrier for entry. Now, anybody in their garage can make the next Fortnite. A- anybody can make anything, especially all the VR technology. My, my buddies are really into VR and they'll just show me these experimental games. I've never heard of that are super cool. And it's like, it's like, Oh yeah, this is just made by one Swedish guy named Fakenbogen. And he's checking out this new technology for sword physics. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see what happens more than anything. I'm kind of curious how much the big industries will start to learn from indie developers. Cause it really feels like indie developers mm-hmm. are the people right now that are like, like screw if this sells, I'm making this out of my own pocketbook. Like everything's cheap. I'm just going to do whatever I think will be fun to play. Yeah, that's that's the absolute most cool thing about indies is that they are making a game and they don't have to, a lot of the time, they're not having to think about marketability. They're not having to think about how many people are going to play this or can I make my money back. When you're talking about like a sole developer or a few developers that's just making a passion project on their basement, none of that matters. It's just I have this idea. I want to do this idea. Um, and that's cool i mean obviously they can't make money off of that usually or not that much which is a shame um but yeah it's it's stuff like it's stuff like those little itch.io games and those game jolt games um seriously like if if people if anyone listening to this hasn't just like looked through itch.io and just looked through loads of games there i implore you to do so there are the most unique most experimental ideas i've ever seen in games comes from completely free indie games um and you know, it'll be interesting to see as the years go on, as those people end up joining, you know, inevitably larger studios yeah. where where those ideas go and stuff. Um, you know, I think we're already at a point where I feel that the industry is a lot more creative today than it would have been five, ten years ago still, mm-hmm. even in the AAA space. Like, I feel obviously we have a lot of these games that are by the number and made and created because stats and figures have said that this will sell but i think mm-hmm. there's a lot more creativity in general because the people making games now come from our generation they, they i mean they grew up playing games they were actually passionate about it, as opposed to going into it as a as a business like it would have been 15 20 years ago um so yeah it's interesting i mean the, the people we can do and gloom the future of video games but i think it's 
I think it's very interesting stuff. I think it'll be really unique, very wild games and in methods that we have never played them before. Um, yeah, it'll be good. So I, I got I to ask you the console question. So tell me, on the PlayStation, or sorry, on the uh, the like Sega Nintendo War, what, what did you, you said you grew up with a uh, PlayStation? Did you get to participate in the 90s console wars at all? So my... Um, I was born in 92, so my my first experience with, with video games were DOS PC games, because my dad grew up, uh, my, my dad worked in IT and stuff, so I had DOS PC games, and then I had a Game Boy Color, and then I had a PS1, so I missed the whole, like, SNES, like, Nintendo versus Sega thing, I missed it. Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, in, but in the UK, um, especially, for some reason, the UK is a mu- was a much more sega heavy country than nintendo i don't know why nintendo just has never even for even in comparison to the rest of europe nintendo hasn't sold as well as in other european countries and that's still the case to today um which i think a lot of even uk nintendo fans are surprised to hear that but the numbers the the switch sale numbers here in comparison to other european countries is is completely different i don't know why we have never taken to nintendo here um but yeah, yeah, Sega, Sega would have been more popular here for some reason. That, um, I definitely crazy. would would have been a Nintendo boy. Um, you know, I, I grew up with the Game Boy. I grew up with the GameCube. Um, I don't really have that much history with Sega, um, so I'm sure I would have been playing NES and SNES games. Sega was so so. I grew up here in Dallas, Texas, and, and for whatever reason, this was like the entire state. Everything I saw was all Nintendo. Uh, to the point in which I, I never even saw a Sega Master System or a Sega Saturn until I was in my mid-20s. I, I never even seen one in a store. I'd never seen pictures, really. Like, it was just so... Because this was just... Everybody was like Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, Smash Brothers, and then a lot of people jumped over to, like, PlayStation 2 and Xbox. But for whatever reason, like, nobody... Like, ge- just GameCube didn't even exist in my world until I was, like, a full-grown <laughs> adult. And so it was almost interesting to, or uh, like seeing the the all these obscure Sega consoles. The only thing I saw like was the Dreamcast, and so I had no context even why the Dreamcast was such an interesting evolution of Sega. And I had no, you know, I have no bearing on it. So it's it's been fascinating to go back and see all this extra history. And it's so interesting when I talk to people in Europe because. I hear from y'all. It's like, yeah, like Sega was everywhere. You walked into the store. There was like the Sega section. I just, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a, uh, in my hometown in the UK, we had a Sega park and this is a very, it is not a big town. Like it is a really obscure town. Um, and we had a Sega park, which was like an arcade, which I guess was run and owned by Sega, um, with loads of arcade cabinets and stuff. So that was really my first experience with Sega as a kid, but, Sega was everywhere in the 90s here. Um, don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know why they managed to kick it off here um, more so than anywhere else. It must be because we called it the Mega Drive. That's why. That's it. It does sound That's good. Totally yeah. Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. No idea. <laughs> I'm sure there's some explanation of it somewhere that perhaps I should read up on. But um, maybe their marketing was just really good here. Maybe the Sega Europe marketing team was was really good or something. Who knows? Right. Um, but yeah, my first, my, my, my personal experience with, uh, you know, growing up games young from the age of like two or three, I was playing DOS games and then it was the Game Boy Color and I was like six or seven, I got a Game Boy Color and then the PS1, mm-hmm. I must've been like nine, 10. So yeah, I just kind of skipped over. I didn't, I didn't get a Dreamcast till I was older. Um, so I don't have any childhood connection to Sega consoles, which I'm only just now realizing, which is Strange, I guess, to a lot of people, I have absolutely no childhood connection to Sega consoles. That's cool. I, I so you, I think we've we've talked about this a little bit off air, but I, I grew up pretty poor. I believe you did as well. It was interesting because in my neighborhood yeah. uh, of like hundreds and hundreds of kids, there were like three game consoles total, uh, and so people would go over to that person's house. So there was one kid who had a PlayStation. Uh, there was one kid who had a Nintendo sixty four. And I still remember the first time I saw the PlayStation because I, I couldn't even afford gaming magazines for the most part. So like mm-hmm. this technology, you had no idea what a, a release date was. You had no idea what sequels were like game consoles just appeared to us like magic. And I remember uh, this kid invited me over and said, oh, uh, 
you know, like the guy who makes the Walkmans, like the people who sell the, the CDs, they made a game console. It's called the Sony PlayStation. And I came over and he showed me Crash Bandicoot. And I remember as soon as it turned on and the whole like the logo and the like no like big stadium noise it makes just blew my mind. And then I saw 3D graphics and load times. I just remember that. So it made such an impact on me of like, whoa, like this is disc based gaming. It's it's fun to look back on just like how we just had no bearing on it. We had, we had no, uh, no understanding yeah. of the technology. It was just, you know, gaming witchcraft to us. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I remember just how futuristic it looked. I mean, for me, my, what would it have been? I guess the first time I saw PlayStation, I have this distinct memory of when someone first mentioned PlayStation to me, I thought it was like this big arcade cabinet, like this huge, yeah. like oh, I've got a PlayStation and I was like, Oh, I've got a PlayStation. And yeah, much like you, I didn't have gaming mags. I, I wasn't looking at gaming stuff on the internet or anything like that. So her PlayStation, I assumed it was this big <laughs> arcade cabinet thing. Um, and then the first time I actually saw the games, I, I think I, th- <laughs> I think it was my neighbor with Resident Evil 2, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> what a great first experience as a kid. Um, I think that's what it was, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as, as you touched on, obviously, um, I, I, I grew up, very poor so for for families like that i think having a game if you have a game you'll play it to heck like to have one game is amazing or i would i, I think we would end up borrowing games from the library and uh oh wow yeah. i definitely didn't have a chip to playstation definitely not so let's who what who said that no one <laughs> I definitely definitely didn't have that but we borrowed we bought games from the library, so I was able to experience a couple of different games. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, up until pretty much adulthood, I couldn't just buy the new game. So I kind of just played, I was kind of out of that sort of whole cultural zeitgeist in general for a very long time. Um, I mean, it, ha- it hasn't even been that long that I've been able to just buy like the new release as it comes out if I want to. Like that mm-hmm. didn't happen when I was a kid. I couldn't just have the latest game. I don't recall ever minding that. <laughs> I don't recall that ever being a problem. Yeah, because um, we, we didn't know. Like, it was like, we had no idea. Yeah. Like, it, like I, I remember I played Final Fantasy VII when Final Fantasy VIII came out, and I had no idea what any of these were, or these numbers, this series. It's like, I, I have no I have no idea if this is old or new. It's just games. Games are just showing up. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I think pretty much every game I owned either came from like a pre-owned bargain bin or a boot sale um but you know i think looking back that's really cool because i had i have a lot of games that mean a lot to me that mm-hmm. are, are very out there you know that not a lot of people have played just because it was what was there <laughs> just because it's what was cheap and i could get um which is uh kind of interesting you know um you know, like lots of obscure PS1 tiles because they were cheap. They were in bargain bins or mm-hmm. boot sales and stuff. Um, yeah, so it's uh, I guess it very much has formed my history with, with, with video games and the sort of games that mean a lot to me. And, of course, it means that the ones I had, I played a lot. I played an awful lot. Um, yeah, so played we just death. beat them again and again. Well, one of the things we would do is, uh, since every person would have, like, one game... But since we were all super broke, one of the things we, we would do a lot is act the games out. And one of my favorite memories is we were super into Resident Evil 2. Uh, we loved the puzzles. We loved the zombies. And uh, what we did one time is one of my friend's parents like went camping without him when we were like 12. So he had the house to himself. So we redid the interior a little bit as best we could with our like childlike crafting abilities and tried to remake it so it'd be the general layout of the uh, the uh, police station from Resident Evil 2 and we took turns basically acting out the intro of Resident Evil 2 and sometimes you'd be the zombie and his dad had a, a, a desk that had a key required to it so we'd pretend that was like one of the keys to one of the offices and stuff and it becomes a much more special memory because it's, it's not mm. just about the video game, it's not just about the scares, it's not about the next sequel it was definitely just one of those times of like when you're kind of broke and you have to live in that world, you definitely get that extra enjoyment out of it that somebody who's just jumps on to Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil 4 probably wouldn't get. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, do you know what? It's funny because this is, 
this topic is very similar to something I discussed in my last in the last episode. So there was an India developer on the last one, um, a small developer called the Bonsai Treehouse, and mm-hmm. we kind of went over this idea of um, of how he he likes to incorporate this into his his actual video games, but he likes the idea of how people create a narrative outside of the game, um, mm-hmm. like creating you know players creating a narrative, which is you know like you say where you were literally acting the game out in real life. Um, and yeah, that's definitely something I can relate to. I did stuff like that, or even in game, like to to make a game last longer. Um, I remember yeah. uh, games like Army Men 3D. Like it's it's a very basic game, but it had a multiplayer mode, which I think was like a. It was probably meant to be like a capture the flag or something. But my my brother mm-hmm. and I would play this an awful lot, and we would just role play in the game. Like we would just have like I would make a story up in the game. And we would do that across so many different games. And so we managed to make them last so long by kind of making up our own stories in the game. Um, I don't know how we managed it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's a bit like kids playing with toys, really. It's, yeah. You know, these well, games were very restrictive, but I was still able to do that. Playground, yeah. Well, we, we did that with yeah. the, the old top-down Grand Theft Auto 2. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 2 is actually pretty structured, yes. even though it had a map and stuff. We, we had a physical map. And what we do is we get these little post-it notes, and I'd put it on the map, but we'd make up missions for each other of like, okay, I want you to... Or, or like We'd literally write little stories, so it's like, all right, I need you to sneak into the nunneries, so steal the church bus and go to this headquarters. And we just make up missions. like We'd beaten the game months ago, but we still just played it for months mm. after that with all this like fake added content we were basically writing our own dlc and it was, it was so fun yeah yeah i think i literally did the same with gta 2 i did the exact same thing i was, I was role-playing like a, a vigilante or something in it and i would you know make make up these scenarios and then i guess like hand the control over to my brother and i'd make up stuff that he would have to do and and this convoluted story and stuff and uh yeah did that across so many games um in like ps1 early ps2 stuff and uh, yeah, we got a lot out of it because <laughs> we didn't have, didn't have that many games, and they were, you know, pretty f- fairly cheap games. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, really. So it's sort of gr- gr- having grown up as as you kind of mentioned, like having grown up super poor. Like I didn't know that there was anything different to that. So it wasn't I wasn't sitting going, oh, I can't believe I'm not getting the the latest game. Uh, oh no, this game that's out. Like it just I don't recall ever yeah. being like that i don't recall ever going oh i want this new game ah and that never happened um i think the very earliest time that happened was when i was uh you know when i got super into kingdom hearts as a teen and the second one was coming out then i'd be like oh mm-hmm. kingdom hearts 2 but i would save up for like <laughs> for like a year and a, even before the game has been announced i would sit and save up going oh my gosh kingdom hearts 2 is coming out um you know and, I, and, and similarly for the ps3 i I saved up for a PS3 for I, I've never had um, up until again recently when when in my adulthood I never had consoles at launch for mm-hmm. sure um, I had I had them like two years down the line at best um, but I would save up for yep. a PS3 because I was convinced that if Kingdom Hearts three came out it was going to come out on a console so I, I would save up for like I, gosh like two years uh, I didn't get it till after Heavy Rain and the Move came out and stuff yep um, but yeah yeah just a uh, very different uh experience to a lot of people i suppose if you if you if you grew up in families that don't have very much money um and and same with playstation 3 so the the first consoles i ever owned at launch was uh this generation this is the first time where i ever got consoles at launch i got the playstation 4 the xbox one and the switch as they came out but i i remember with the playstation 3 uh, I, I moved out when I was 18. Uh, I was uh, kind, of, kind of moved out, kind of thrown out, had to live on the streets for a while and kind of pieced my life back together. But then I was working and I had an apartment and stuff when the PlayStation 3 was out. And years after the PlayStation 3 was out, it was still so expensive. Uh, and one month uh, I was working at Target and I did a bunch of overtime they called me in on my birthday. So I had to work on my birthday and I was really mad. And they made me work a 12 hour shift as a cashier. And uh, when I was walking out to my car that night, uh, it was a hundred dollar bill in the parking lot. And I'm like, what the, on my birthday. So of course, uh, maybe I should have given that to a cop or something, but it, since it was my birthday, I decided to be selfish and I put it in my pocket and I drove over to a uh, Walmart and I bought a PlayStation three and it felt so magical to have like, it was mm. the original giant, 
like this slim was already out at that point, but I was so broke. I couldn't buy the slim revisions. So I had to buy the giant original PS3. That was like the size of a grill. And I was like, yes. And I had one game which was GTA four and I just played it so much, but it makes it more special. Honestly, like when, when yeah, you have absolutely. one game, it's your favorite game. Yeah, totally. Like th- that experience of, of getting a game or a console is so much more memorable to me. Um, and so much more important to me because it was it was so hard to get it you know it wasn't i couldn't just get all the new games and the new consoles on my birthday or christmas and stuff so um and yeah i mean it sounds like uh, i mean it sounds like you went through perhaps even more hardship than i did so i mean it's it's uh it's 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 definitely more special when you get when you get a console like that yeah and it's it's the fun of gaming. I'm I'm glad games are getting cheaper. I, I definitely think that it seems like there's a lot of sixty dollar games. But as a kid, I don't remember all these twenty dollar games and ten dollar indies and stuff. I definitely like that we're in this this time period where not everything is a triple A release. Not everything has to be Kingdom mm. Hearts three. We can have these little tinier experiences. I, I'm glad we're at a period now where I feel like if you're a broke kid now. If you manage to somehow talk your parents into getting you a console, there is still stuff you can play. I feel like growing up now with games is probably much better. And I don't know, I definitely I'm glad that developers have found a way to make this profitable and good for everybody of all ages. Yeah, that's what's that's what's great. And, you know, it's even stuff like mobile mobiles, mobile games and iPad games and stuff like um, for, 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 for poor kids. I imagine that's that's quite good. And I've always quite liked it on mobile the model, uh, the sort of monetization model where it's just ads. Because mm-hmm. then you don't need to worry about your kid having loot boxes and microtransactions and stuff. And they can download a game for free and they can play it. And they've got to watch some ads sometimes, but mm-hmm. there's free games, free games. And, um, you know, yeah, stuff, stuff like on, on PlayStation and Switches and, and all sorts. Like there are a lot of very cheap games now. I guess that's one of the greatest things about having digital storefronts now is that um, you can have incredibly cheap games on, on Steam and stuff that are a lot more attainable. Um, uh, yeah, but we didn't have that. <laughs> we, we had bargain bins of games occasionally, and that was about it. Um, although I guess there were shareware games on PC. That was, that was, that was I guess, how I grew up with, with games at first, were um, shareware PC games. Just had loads of free <laughs> like discs. It came with shareware games on, so we would sit and play. Even though you only get like the first level or first chapter of a game, I would just play those repeatedly. Um, I read about that. Yeah, I've, I've never seen those in my life. Uh, just because no one had a computer, uh, I didn't really see computers till high school. But I, I read about that. I read like the the book Masters of Doom, which is all about the making of Doom, and they talk yes. about that. Like just yeah, you just get like here's your Wolfenstein disc, and it's the first five levels of fifty levels, and it's like all right, you can enjoy your five tiny levels, and if you want the rest, you got to pay us. <laughs> it's like oh, that's that's a good gateway drug though. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, and even more than that, I, I imagine it was the same in the US, but in the UK, you'd get a lot of gaming magazines would come with discs that would be yeah. like over 500 games and it would just be all the shareware episodes of lots of various oh, tiny, oh, tiny yeah. indie games and we and you know people people would get though we didn't buy the magazines but those cds would end up in boot sales for pennies and stuff so they'd be everywhere and so my dad would just have lots of them and so i had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games as a very small kid but it was all just the, the freeware and shareware stuff from like the 90s mm-hmm. um you know, some of them were really good quality. Like you had your Doom, you had your Heretic and Wolfenstein and Doom Nukem 3D, all those shareware episodes of that. Um, but some of it was just complete, you know, stuff that no one's ever heard of because it was just the 90s equivalent of a, an indie dev sitting in their basement making a game. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that was, they're wicked, you know. I have amazing memories of sitting playing all that stuff and it was free. <laughs> um, and well, yes. really unique stuff. When the demo discs, uh, the generation of demo discs that my my friends and I got super obsessed with was in uh, the PlayStation 2 and Xbox era when we started having like 3D because usually they'd put like five demos on there and the demos would be like, here's a couple weapons and a level and kill these ninjas. And, And it was like a tasty mm. 20 minutes of the game. And since we were so poor, but somehow managed to have these consoles, we would just play through them again and again. Like we, we played through the yeah. Ninja Gaiden demo 
at least 200 times just play through that same demo again and again trying to see how we could skip out of the level and stuff just it, it's it's so funny like to think of like i can't imagine doing that now i can't imagine as an adult sitting down with a demo disc for hours no yeah i think being a kid and having a bigger imagination probably helped because you can make it so much more than what it is um mm-hmm. but the cool thing like those demo discs and stuff in general like even now as an adult i find them incredibly interesting because a lot of the time the final product didn't end up like that mm-hmm. so you've got these you've now got people like me that care about like, video game preservation that look at these kind of discs as a kid as, as a as a teen and as a young adult i'd look at them and be like oh that's like cheap like boot sale stuff like you know people would sell demo discs still now on ebay for nothing whereas now as an mm-hmm. adult that cares about preservation I'm like oh my gosh i I need all of the demo discs because there's some there's some of these games levels that didn't end up like that in the in the in the final game. Um, yeah. I, I ended up getting the uh, I used I used to work at the this bookstore used bookstore that's actually have a huge part of my collection and we'd sell video games for dirt cheap. Basically, the way the store worked is people could bring in whatever they wanted. We'd make them a cash offer. We'd take it and we resell it for a mm. profit. It was like GameStop but for books, DVDs, movies, games. Uh, and a lot of times we get stuff that we couldn't sell, but was rare. And a lot of times the my boss would just let me take it home. And one of the ones I happen to get is the extremely rare Silent Hill demo disc. The original Silent Hill demo disc is quite a bit different than the final game was. Like clearly Konami made that demo, went, eh, let's take it in a different direction. And I ended up getting that. And so I ended up trading it to an, uh, an archiving society, ended up a... Uh, taking it off my hands and giving me a, a rare Sega Saturn game for it. Cause they were like, okay, we, we need that for the record. So it's interesting that like, yeah, sometimes the games are different from the demo. Yeah. I mean, and the modern equivalent is um, developers making sort of event uh, like demos for events and stuff um, because they're still developing it and they'll end up being completely different how they were at events. Um, but of course with demo discs, we can still get them. We can get those little snippets of, of game development um that silent hill one i would love that <laughs> i would love to see what the what the changes were in the in that silent hill demo i wonder if someone's i hope someone's made a video on it I would oh, like to, yeah i'm sure i'm sure they have I, I haven't looked into it myself i just got when i when i was talking about it i got contacted so i just traded it off i, I don't even think i had a playstation one at the time to test it but i was happy to trade it off to somebody that would put it to better use but yeah, there, I'm sure there's comparison videos showing why specifically it's different. I but I do I love demo discs. I own uh I own all the Dreamcast demo discs. Oh, gee, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I got those uh, from my friends in uh, in Europe. Uh, the Dreamcast Junkyard Crew, all those people. The I was trying to track mm-hmm. down every the last things I needed were all the Dreamcast magazine issues that are in English. And uh, they reached out and they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we have like 10 of all of them. Sure. We'll send you some. And they sent me a, all the Dreamcast demo discs in a big bundle and they're great. They're super good demos with great music and fantastic art. They had like different concept art on the disc covers that were never used in the games or any other promotional work. I don't know. Like there's, there's definitely a lost art to demos that we don't have today. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, demos in general, even digital demos, they're not that common anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess Nintendo does quite a lot, but the sort of big AAA games and other platforms you don't really see them, or I don't see them that often at all. Um, have you ever heard why, like what the business reason is? It's like uh, apparently they made a big demo for Resident Evil uh, Five or Six. I'm trying to remember. It was like some big Capcom game. They put out a demo. And the day one sales were extremely low. So for some reason in the business for years and years and years after that, there was this inappropriate correlation that demos would reduce your day one sales. And so people stopped spending the hundreds of thousands of dollars to make these demos for years. And now that we're in the beta era and all these betas are coming out, which are basically demos and we're seeing sales numbers go back up. Finally, it's broken the stigma of yes, if you make a good demo, it will increase sales. People won't be bored of your game when it comes out. So it's so funny that like a misconception made us have like a 10 year drought of demos. (laughs) That's interesting. I, don't, I I wasn't aware of that. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, that definitely happens. Like publishers will get the wrong idea about stuff and then decide, oh, that that does this or this does that. Um, mm-hmm. So funny. <laughs> I've had that happen in my in my in my personal uh, various jobs, speaking to various 
companies where um, it's it's definitely baffling some of the decisions they make, which are clearly uh, inaccurate. Like that, yeah. those sort of weird correlations. Publishers do that a lot. It's very strange. Yeah, I I, I hear about that stuff sometimes. Yeah, happens a lot. It's very strange. I want to go and eBay lots of um lots of PS one and PS two demo discs now. That's what I want. I want to go buy them all. See if I don't have enough stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Always more for the collection. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> it's never ending. Um, cool. I guess we shall wrap this up. Um, do you want to tell the wonderful people where on earth they can find you and your content? Uh, I'm youtube.com slash dreamcast guy. Uh, whenever this goes live, I uh, just want to say a uh, big support to all the people that are in the streets who are trying to make change. Uh, obviously that's a big thing going on in America right now. Like huge love to black mm-hmm. lives matter. I, I don't know. I'm not sure when this will get uploaded, but I just, I want to express that that stuff's going on. And even though we're all talking games, we're all enjoying life. I'm glad that people are still every single day trying to improve the world as we all have fun. So just much love to them and, yeah, it's a frequent reminder to me that you know I, I I will get sort of worked up and and bothered by stuff like loot boxes and talk about it a lot, and then mm-hmm. you get these protests happening and it kind of reminds you like, God, that that stuff doesn't mean shit. Like that's that yeah, stuff I'm exactly. that stuff I get worked up by. It means absolutely nothing. Um, so yeah, yeah, people people doing something of actual value, um, which is uh, amazing, exceptional. Um, yeah, anyway, um, thank you very much for, for joining me and talking about all this lovely stuff. Um, I'm legit going to go and watch a bunch of your videos now because I'm kind of just looking at it as I'm speaking to you. <laughs> just looking through some of your video lists. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that on the watch later, watch later list. But yeah, thank you for joining me. And uh, maybe in several years later when definitely for sure 100% the Dreamcast 2 will exist we can talk about that in 10 years time I'm sure that'll be great it'll be the best it'll be another subscription service (laughs) oh god it would but it it led the path on that with with online so it would make sense it will make sense all right well thanks so much for having me on it's been a pleasure You're, you're more welcome and we will see everyone or listen to everyone or talk nonsense to everyone next time see ya this podcast is supported by Patreon you can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important like a boxed copy of Choo Choo Rocket.